blessings to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and welcome to Pastors for Pastors, the podcast that supports and celebrates the pastors who lead and challenge and comfort us, especially in these difficult days. I'm Ken Broman Folds, a Presbyterian pastor who recently retired after 40 years and feel called to celebrate and support my sisters and brothers still in active ministry. I think we can all agree that the year 2020 will go down in history as one of the most difficult years of our generation. Between the COVID-19 pandemic and the heightened tensions regarding racism, not to mention the presidential election campaign shifting into high gear, and the way all three of these things are blending together into a political and social powder keg, we in the church are certainly being called by God to be peacemakers, to bring reconciliation and unification to this divided country and world. The problem is we're having our own difficulties with differences of opinion and belief about the pandemic and race and politics and the role faith should play in all of these things. We have a hard enough time just trying to figure out how to worship together. Well, I'm confident you're going to find the next two episodes of Pastors for Pastors helpful. I have invited three good friends to join me in a conversation based on a book by one of these friends that was written for just a time such as this. The book is titled Forbearance, a theological ethic for a disagreeable church. And its author is the Reverend Dr. James Calvin Davis, a professor of religion at Middlebury College in Vermont and a minister in the Presbyterian Church USA. In his book, James lists six ways that build forbearance, six things we can do to enable us to disagree with each other lovingly and respectfully and in ways that can actually strengthen our relationships rather than break them. Also joining us are the Reverends Leanne Scarborough and Susan Takis. Leanne is the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Talladega, Alabama, and Susan is pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Wildwood, Florida, which serves the huge retirement community known as the Villages. This community has been in the news recently for controversial activism by some of its residents. One story that began in February and continues to make news is about Ed McGinty, who puts anti-Trump signs on his golf cart. And more recently, a video clip of a man in a golf cart made national news as he shouted, white power, to a group protesting the killing of George Floyd. In this first episode, we begin by talking about the extent of the problem in our churches, where it seems we simply cannot disagree without dividing. Then we talk about what forbearance is and is not. And finally, we begin talking about the six ways we as pastors and church members can build forbearance within the church, which hopefully will then spread to the world around us. In the second half of this two-part conversation, we'll continue to talk about the six practices that build forbearance. 
I begin the conversation with a story about a family in the church from which I recently retired. James will be the second voice, and then Susan, and then Leanne. There is a family in my former church, um, fairly young people, um, pretty sophisticated people who uh, are just ardently convinced that that this whole COVID pandemic is a um, is a plot mm. uh, to to uh, take over the world. Yeah. And when uh, she posted something on Facebook a few weeks ago and was vague, but she had communicated with me before I retired what she thought about it, so I knew what she was talking about. And so friends, church members and other friends were asking what I thought were very reasonable questions, asking what she meant and what, you know, how does this apply and are, are you saying this? And she never answered, but but after several backs and forths with her husband, he finally started saying, I'm just unfriending all these people who, even church members, the, the whole idea of forbearance and civility just went out the window. And Ken, I think that's deeper than the belief in this, uh, in the interpretation of the pandemic as a plot, is, is an ethos of distrust. Of course, that makes sense in a worldview in which you can't trust the person to the left and right of you. And I think that's precisely what we as, as a church um, can offer as a social witness. But as your story also illustrates, we have to work on it in-house first because it has infiltrated the way that we think about one another in church too. It's interesting. In my congregation, so far, has practiced the most forbearance between and among each other. We've had one one woman take a stand about if you make us wear masks, I'm leaving the church. Mm. But it's not as blatant as certainly this area around us. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, for instance, we have our soup kitchen on property, which serves over 94,000 meals a year. I mean, it's huge operation. Um, but one of the first comments that came to me as soon as we, uh, in March, back, you know, shutting down the church and soup kitchen board was meeting to make decisions about what, what they were going to do about soup kitchen, um, I had a comment from a parishioner, well, we need to keep those people off property because they'll bring the virus. So oh, it's yeah. there. Yeah, so the guy that I mentioned in the golf cart shouting white power. He's not a member. Not, of my not a church member. Okay, no, not a church member. Not a church yeah. member. Um, but that in itself, um, um, that it, you're almost scared to go into the, or I sh- I, I'm almost scared to go into the social areas of the villages. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's gotten... Um, pretty caustic. Um, and, and not that guy, but the original guy, Ed Garrity, that was on the news like six months ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think New York's time, New York Times had picked it up and also uh, I saw it on like CNN or something. Um, he's still out and about in his golf cart. He's the pro, he's the anti-Trumper. Um, and his golf cart is out all the time. And, and um, he's now got a couple people that go along with him to quote unquote, protect him. 
um, which is actually probably not a bad thing um, because he gets things thrown at him a lot. There are times when I experience what Susan is talking about, but the mirror opposite, of course. Um, in my very progressive part of the country, in my very progressive uh, congregation, there are also limits to, if not um, tolerance, at least um, you see the limits to um, uh, ability to understand, but it's the opposite limits. It's folks who identify as conservative um, just bewilder the average uh, person in, in my college town and in my uh, congregation. Um, and this has been the case for four years. How in the world could those people, and again, it's those people, dot, 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 you know, vote for the person right. they voted for or think the way they think. Um, so so that's a helpful reminder to me um, that this really is not a problem with the right. This is a problem across the board. It just manifests in different ways and targets different uh, people and ideas on the right and the left, but the left has its own intolerance and its own myopia as well as the right does. So Leanne, is everything copacetic yes. in Alabama? No, no, it is not. But, and, and I think this, I think that the isolation of the coronavirus has made it even worse, particularly in the church, because while there might be um, differences of opinion, not just about politics, but about all kinds of stuff, when we're together on Sundays and Wednesdays, we can we can get around that. We can love each other in spite of, but because we're not together now, I think it just sort of emphasizes all the differences. Um, because the way that people are interacting now is like Facebook or, or other social media. And that's just not a good way to have a conversation. <laughs> and I think the book emphasized that. I mean, as I was reading it again, um, I thought, goodness, you know, what we really need is a fellowship event when, when people are getting upset with one another um, or, or whatever that, that we need to remember in whose name we are gathered in the first place. Yeah. Why we call ourselves members of First Presbyterian Church Talladega or why we call ourselves Christians. Um, and then we can get to the, to the things that divide us. I have whiplash um, because of my changing uh, feelings about the relationship between social media and this kind of virtual communication and yeah. civility and forbearance. I mean, I, when I first started working on civility, I thought well, the, uh, Facebook is the democratization of civil discourse. It's, it's, it's a vehicle for everybody to get in um, on the conversation and for it not to be about elites and for it not to be controlled by the powers that be, then very quickly and realize, no, the devil lives in Facebook and the devil lives in Twitter. And in fact, these are the conduits for um, just for the demonization of, of one another and, and for the for the end of democracy. And I think we still see that. I mean, that's rampant. But at the same time, uh, the ways in which churches have marshaled technological resources to remain church. I mean, I see this firsthand in my own congregation, but also obviously others to say, um, we're going to find other ways to be face-to-face, -face, even if we can't be physically face-to-face, -face, and we're going to use this technology to remain church in these dark times, suggests that there are 
there is something, um, it is not a fiction to think, to hope for the redemption of social media and, and um, the virtual space. It's just that we have not figured out how to do that yet. And it raises the obvious question about whether the church can also lead in that uh, respect as well. I've noticed um, two members of the congregation some time back having a, a very um, angry conversation with each other. It's a little Facebook post prompted yeah. one, you know, and it, it went back and forth, back and forth late on a Saturday night. And I thought, can't, you know, we can't have Sunday school in the morning with these right. two if we don't, right. you know, if we don't settle, settle this now. I said, y'all would never do this in, in person. You know, you would never say those things to each other in person why is it okay to say and, and that got them thinking a little bit and so that's the, the disadvantage i see but i think the church can help us find ways to interact um with forbearance so talk to us about what forbearance is forbearance is what it means to live together as church through disagreement to live together as community through disagreement Forbearance means taking our disagreements seriously, but loving one another and maintaining community despite or even because of those differences. And we do that by um, practicing certain virtues that are, um, I think, inherent to the Christian tradition. Uh, so this is an idea. I, the forbearance is a uh, term that I ripped uh, straight from the books of Colossians, the, the letter to the Colossians, the letter to Ephesians. Uh, where the apostle says, bear with one another in love. And it struck me as just really a powerful image because there were a lot of contentions that were threatening the sense of community in those early churches. And yet the apostle is saying, bear with one another in love. So I stole that term um, from the New Testament letters and, and started asking myself, well, what virtues would go, but really set the stage for us to be able to practice this notion of, of forbearance with one another. And that's what the book's about. Maybe it would be good to, to talk at the beginning, not only what forbearance is, but also what we don't mean by forbearance. The term itself can almost be a conversation stopper, right? Uh, the people say, oh, I already know what you mean by forbearance. You mean gradualism. You mean uh, just hunker down and wait uh, for people to come around to your um, to your position, or worse yet, you, what you mean by forbearance is um, don't rock the boat. Um, uh, and all of that sounds to people, to many people, like forbearance is um, antithetical to um, conviction, um, to to us, to a belief of what is right and good and ought to be. That to be um, to be forbearing means you have to tap the brakes on your pursuit of justice, for instance. Just put up with things the way they are. That's right. Or or that you have to be um, so that forbearance might connote relativism. Um, I forbear you because nothing really matters that much. Uh, so if you believe in something different than, uh, than I, then we can just kind of a Rodney King theology, right? Why can't we all just get along? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really... And sometimes it's tempting to to think that I should have chosen different terms um, because uh, you're just constantly um, battling the connotations that a term like forbearance has. And yet that's, first of all, I'm a sucker for um, for old terms like that. But also once we open those floodgates of 
taking off the table terms that have banned connotations, we're very quickly going to be fi- find out we don't have any language whatsoever to talk about. So instead, I think it's just important to say um, the word, term literally means to bear with one another. And everything else we pack into it um, is not inherent to the term itself. It's in our interpretation. And I choose to interpret it in the way that I see it being interpreted in in the New Testament text. And that is um, as not minimizing uh, disagreement and certainly not dissolving uh, prematurely or in a superficial way disagreement but figuring out how to remain church through those disagreements um, and, and see those disagreements as uh, at least inevitable, if not an important part of who we are as, as church. And you do that by practicing certain virtues. And, and of those, I, I mentioned humility, patience, uh, faithfulness, um, friendship, which is my take on love uh, and, and wisdom. And I think the practice of those allows us to maintain community even while we're working through the reality that we are part of a community, the body of Christ, uh, whose members think very differently about um, a whole lot of things. What you say in the book is, is that basically there are certain virtues that, that are, are actions we practice. They are things that we do. And in the doing, um, they develop a certain character within us. And out of that character, then forbearance becomes a part of the way that we, we live and relate to people. Is that right? I think that's exactly right, Ken. And, and uh, there's a title fight among moralists in history to say, at the end of the day, what is morality? What is ethics? And philosoph- some philosophers and theologians say it's about following rules. Uh, that we have these rules, whether they're the Ten Commandments or natural law or something, it's about following the rules that tell us what is right and wrong. And then there's this whole other school of ethics um, that says, no, fundamentally, what being moral means is, is, is a matter of character. It's who we are. And then what we do comes from that. In the Christian tradition, you see that in the New Testament letters, the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's a that's uh, Christian Virtues 101. And I was trying to tap into that and say, this is a great way of thinking about forbearance. It is the practice of community in disagreement that then contributes to a positive character in members of that community, which make it, makes it then easier for them to practice community in disagreement the next time around. So let's talk about what some of those virtues are. Uh, and, and the first one, and I really enjoyed these. I, I really enjoyed the way you wrote about them and the way you applied them. Uh, but the, the first one is humility. And as you start out with the story of uh, Snoopy and, the, and the, the title of the theology book, Did You Ever Think You Might Be Wrong?, uh, and the whole idea that we're not God and we we may have things wrong is a is a wonderful way to start. Uh, but talk talk more about why that's the place to start. Uh, well, first, I have to give credit for the Snoopy cartoon because I was I I actually remember where I was. I was in my garage um, writing that chapter, and my wife Elizabeth slid that uh, uh, that cartoon my way. So she's the reason. 
that chapter has a beginning. Um, but uh, humility seemed to me um, the place to start because both in church and in our civic culture, it seems to me that the original sin of unhealthy disagreement is the assumption that we know everything there is to know, um, that we know what is right and the other person knows what is, it doesn't know anything. And that seems to be the original sin and it plagues uh, who we are as church. You could argue that it's actually a bigger temptation in church than it is in culture because when wed to um, to the emphasis that we put in church on faith convictions and on the unshakable nature of faith, it um, it makes it easier for us to be theologically arrogant because we have the weight of Jesus. We have the weight of the Bible uh, behind us, forgetting conveniently that um, what we consider the weight of Jesus is the weight of our particular interpretation of Jesus and forgetting that one of the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith is that God is God. Uh, and we are not. And one of the big differences between us and God is that God is the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, and we are fallible, sinful creatures. And so that seemed to me to be the place to start, to deconstruct the source of our confidence uh, in what we think is right, while at the same time arguing that the holding of conviction is not itself antithetical to forbearance. But those con those convictions need to be held with some uh, recognition that in the end, we could be wrong about things small or great. Let me offer two examples, and then I, I want Susan and Leanne to, to respond as well. Uh, the first one is a confession that uh, I have had a, a growing sense of in myself. It, it's been hard for me to understand how you can call yourself a Christian and be supportive of the current administration. And that's a confession on my side of, of, of hubris rather than humility. Of, uh, and and um, I just retired from a church where all of the professional staff are Presbyterians and all the support staff are Southern Baptists. And um, my former secretary sent me an article written by a professor at the Southern Baptist Seminary in, in Louisville on, on why conservative evangelical Christians will more than likely support Trump. And it was a very thoughtfully written article with which I mostly disagreed, but I, I did overcome enough hubris to read the article and listen to that perspective and saw that there are some rational reasons for doing so when you're when you see that the traditional values of your your understanding of the faith and the culture are breaking down and it's it's Trump or the continuing breakdown of society as you have understood it to be right and expression of faith to be right. And so on the one hand, there's, there's that example of, of uh, at least now after reading that, I, I, I have tamed my, my pride enough to go, okay, I, I see that even if I don't agree with it. The other is uh, the, the uh, podcast that, that I recorded and that just got published this weekend 
uh, was a, a, a conversation with two preachers. One is a white uh, Presbyterian female, and the other is a uh, African American Baptist uh, pastor. And so after the the conversation, which was about how they do their sermon prep together, I watched both of their sermons online yesterday. And Kim, the the Presbyterian minister, started her sermon by talking about um, the uh, experience she had last Monday of taking her dad to the doctor's office. And while her dad was in seeing the doctor, she was in the waiting room and overheard a conversation between two men who were talking about uh, faith matters. And one of them talked about the fact that he was sent out these weekly thoughts and reflections on the Bible. And there was this one guy who kept writing back and disagreeing with with what he was writing and and the the one who told the story of this man said the worst thing is that he's going to hell and and, and so those two examples offer the opposite the, the truth on each end of the spectrum from the progressive and the conservative the lack of humility that we often find in ourselves and in others well, Ken, you said something about confession, and, and in the book, James says that theological humility is a form of Christian confession, and I think it challenges us all the time to consider that we may be wrong, um, and that when we are able to do that, when we are able to find that little bit of humility, I think it helps us in um in forbearance, in the practice of forbearance, in the practice of, of listening to others. And, um, and and one thing that I'm learning now is, is people's backgrounds do make a difference. I mean, I've known that all along, but I'm really learning that now about how, how, how we came to this place in life makes a big difference in, in my beliefs and my, my understanding of scripture and all kinds of things. And so we have to give a little bit of, of credit to those people for, for what they've learned, whether it's, we agree with it or not. I mean, we don't have to agree with it. We can just believe that they are absolutely wrong. But, you know, just to, to allow that we may be wrong as well. Yeah, yeah well, the, the allowing that we may be wrong, to me, gets back to the original um, point that I think James, you had said, we are not God. And so if, if I, I find in my ministry, I spend a lot of time having conversations with people um, either about, you know, why is this happening, you know, to me or my life or my loved one? Um, or why are, th- why are these things happening in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And nine times out of, the, out of 10, we discover together again, for the very first time, that we are not God, then what seems to happen is that control, the need for that control, that the, the need for um, I'm in charge floats away. Um, and one example that I use with my uh, elders for, during elder training is I'll bring a raw egg in and I'll crack it open and, you know, it falls onto the plate and the yolk stays right there in the middle and you know it's like that's god that's that's the yoke and we 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 can't ever be the yoke you know we're that we're that gooey stuff around it and even when you mix it up what color does the whole thing become it's still yellow 
It's God is in and around and through. Um, and, and I say that because I think that that's wrapped up in humility. We will never be that yellow yoke and we just get over ourselves. That's not who we are. That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. It's, yeah. That issue of fear and anxiety too, I think um, runs through both of your uh, reflections too. On the one hand, Susan, I think you're exactly right. In a lot of ways, that's the, that's the, um, the, the opposite side of a healthy dose of humility is the fear and anxiety that makes us cling on to control uh, of what we think is right and true. Um, but also understanding a little bit of one another's fears and anxieties, as Leanne was talking about. Uh, you know, if, if, if we engage with somebody who's on the polar opposite of some issue uh, with us and we don't fundamentally change our minds after that engagement, but we do understand substantially better how they got to where they are and why they're in a much different place than we are. I still think that's a faithful exercise of humility. And I still think that is a wonderfully useful exercise to engage in for the church and for politics because it's a it's a an extension that we seldom exercise anymore it's trying to figure out how did those people get to the point where they voted opposite of what i did or they ended up on the opposite side of the abortion debate or the marriage equality debate etc understanding how those um folks with whom we are trying to relate got to where they are at the very least uh, contributes to us seeing them as people mm-hmm. and best case scenario it reshapes in some way great or small how we think about our convictions too and and none of that is possible if if we don't acknowledge the space to move uh, and the reality that we don't know everything there is to know well and also um our convictions are formed they we're on a journey. And so just the act of stopping for a minute and thinking back about maybe how I've moved through a journey to get to the conviction I have today about whatever it is, you know, five years ago, I might've felt completely different about X, Y, Z, but you're right, Leanne, when you were saying, you know, if we step back and look at other people's experiences, um, then that, provide some clarity about where they're standing and their convictions. We have to do the same thing to ourselves almost and say, if, if we've been on a journey, so have they. And that, and that opens up that dialogue better. I think, I think, I think when we talk about racism in the United States, that, that, you know, people of different races are coming from completely different experiences and, and if you can't understand the other experience, if you don't know history, and I, I admit, I confess that there was much about history that I did not know, that I did not understand until recently, yeah. um, when I made an effort to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I just use that as an example of, of the humility kind of thing of saying, there's a lot I don't know, there's a lot I don't understand. And we can't do that if we're arrogant, if we say, you know, my way is the right way and nobody else's is. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says he thinks pride 
is the worst of all the sins because it infects everything we do and causes all the other sins to be even worse than they are. I think he's right. And I think humility is the basic virtue that will enable us to find a way to disagree with each other without dividing. But there are five more ways, and they will be the basis of part two of this program, which will come out in one week. Normally, we publish an episode every other week, but we're publishing these two just a week apart to keep the topic fresh in your mind. I also wanted to let you know that along with his book on forbearance, James is also the author of the book In Defense of Civility, How Religion Can Unite America on Seven Moral Issues That Divide Us. I've listed all the information about these two books in the notes for this episode. If you'd like to pick up a copy of either or both, I encourage you to do so. I also encourage you to share this program with your friends, your pastors, and with your friends who are pastors. And if this podcast has offered something positive to you, would you do something positive for us? Subscribe and give us a positive rating. That'll make it easier for other pastors to find us when they're searching for a podcast like this. If you'd like to get in touch with me, send me an email at pastors the number four, pastors2020 at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Ken Broman Folks, and I look forward to seeing you for the next edition of Pastors for Pastors. Pastors.